And I'm not sure that I'm the happiest person on earth. Although some of my achievements have been quite remarkable. Right? I, I think there are people that achieve a lot, not as much, but do it in a much more balanced way, which makes them much more happy in the long run. So I think that's something that I personally have been struggling with a lot. What's going to determine the winners of tomorrow is not necessarily labor income, it's capital income. So if you inherit money or if you're good at investing, that's much more likely to set you up for success than actually having a successful career. When you have been parts of the environments that I have, you know, Boston Consulting Group, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Y Combinator, you know, some of these like places where everyone is super intelligent and super good at what they do, what takes you far is actually the funny facts that differentiate you from the bunch. When your son uh, reached the age of 13, Will you do the same that your father did to you with the with investing? I think I'll start earlier, to be honest. <laughs> uh... A new episode of the Learning Founder podcast, where we speak with uh, innovative and interesting founders, and not just founders, innovators in different fields. Today, we're digging a bit deeper into the startup ecosystem with uh, Joachim, uh, CEO of uh, Pluto Markets. I don't know if it's the name is just Pluto or Pluto Markets, just Pluto. Pluto Markets. Well, when, when we talk about it daily, we just say Pluto, but the full name would be Pluto Markets. Okay, yeah. so the formal one is Pluto Markets. Yeah, because yeah. the thing is, uh, Pluto is a planet, right? So mm. a lot of people got the same idea as us to, to, to name their, yeah. their, their startup or their business. So frequently we get you know tagged and posted. It has nothing to do with us and stuff. So um, j- just for the sake of clarity, let's say Pluto Markets. Okay, um, uh, just to put it out there, I love the name. It's uh, like because dot market, so it's Pluto dot market. So it's yeah, it's the name and also the domain. Exactly. So with Joachim, uh, he's the CEO of uh, Pluto dot markets, <laughs> and um, I've been recommended uh, to speak with Joachim by multiple people. One of them uh, is uh, Frederick Gabriel, which was also uh, a guest on this uh, episode. And I think it was one of the funnest, funniest or funnest episodes that I had because he always like uses this kind of uh, anecdotes and stories that are very unique. And the second one, also a co-founder, uh, newly started the company uh, called Swarm, um, uh, which is uh, Jacob, who's a good friend of mine from Antler Times. So he told me some uh, gossip about you as well (laughs) (laughs) he has a lot on me so i'm getting nervous (laughs) okay let's let's start with the with the easy stuff why did you leave the rap game to switch to uh, (laughs) entrepreneurship uh yeah so it wasn't like it was a full-time profession but i actually used to be a pretty good rapper um so in denmark we have this thing or we have this thing called mc's fight night which was the largest um, freestyle rap event. And it was actually so big at the point I was participating that it got broadcasted live on, on national TV. And um, yeah, I was rapping in front of 4,000 spectators uh, at one of the larger venues here in Copenhagen. Um, so that was when I was in high school. Uh, and honestly, it was just a lot of fun. I started out when I was drunk and then I figured out that uh, <laughs> I had talent and then I kind of, just did it, you know, besides my studies. Um, did you figure out that you had 
talent also when you were drunk? Yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> it's how it started. So you know, I, I I look very much up to Eminem, and and when I when I got drunk, I I sort of thought I was him, so I started freestyle rapping with a few friends, and then realized that I was uh, pretty talented. So yeah, at one at one point, I was ranked to be the fourth best freestyle rapper in Denmark, um, wow. and was making uh, you know some money off of it. It was that's never good. enough to to make a decent living, so I knew I had to continue studies. Um, but yeah, that's something I did once. That's amazing. I mean, these little stuff that uh, I get to know by friends, they're like just the, you know, the cherry on top of the cake. Because it, it, even if I researched myself, I don't think it would have been easy for me to find this information. It's not something I, I tell a lot, but I, uh, I've had a few very fun episodes. Um, and actually, I think, you know, my, 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 my rap days is probably the things, one of the things that I, has been the biggest benefit for my professional career, which was never the intention. But um, when I was in, um, when I was studying at university, I was also doing an internship with the Boston Consulting Group. Um, mm. Now I'm just talking anecdotes. I hope that's all right. We're all for it. So go, okay. go crazy. Yeah. So I was uh, I was doing this visiting associate program. Um, you know, Boston Consulting Group, very prestigious prestigious consultancy. Um, and I was interning in their Copenhagen office, and it happened to be at the time when there was when there was this meetup among all the Nordic offices. So all the consultants from Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway, and Finland were, were gathering uh, at Ibiza. And it all ended with this grand dinner where there was this uh, talent competition. So, you know, the Swedes go first and they had made this super well-prepared um, song where they were, they were dancing and, and, Everyone in that setting is very competitive, right? So they had made a big effort to actually try to win the trophy, which happens to be a big thing. And, you know, after them comes the Norwegians who I believe uh, had a role play or something. And, you know, I was an intern. I've been around for three weeks and there was maybe 600 consultants, everything from partners to, to interns there. And then one guy comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I, I interviewed you uh, when you were interviewing for the internship. I know you've only been here for two weeks, but but didn't you have like a weird talent? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I I can rap. I'm I'm pretty good at it. And he said, okay, so do you come up with this spontaneously? And I was like, yeah, I actually do. And he's like, all right, can you go on stage in 10 minutes in front of these 600 consultants? And I was like, if you go get me a pint right away, I, <laughs> I will be ready in 10 minutes. And then I, I go on stage 10 minutes later and the guy comes up and presents me and says, here's the, here's the, uh, the performance from the Copenhagen office and it's going to be one guy doing it and he's the intern who's been around for two weeks. And everyone just thinks, you know, what the heck is going on? Like, are they, have they, are they just trashing their intern, humiliating him, him completely? And then I go on stage, I take off my shirt and I have a big tattoo on my, on my arm, which is actually a visualization of, you know, uh, a lot of my, my rap elements. And then I I just say out loud, does anyone have a topic for me? And I think the topic was twerking or something. <laughs> it was very much uh, up in the time. And I'm and then the the the, the DJ uh, flips a record and the beat starts and I start rapping and people just go completely insane. Wow. Um, uh, you know, stands up on the table and wants to do extra number. And obviously, we won the trophy and I became the hero of the Copenhagen office for a little while. Wow. What was your rap name? It was uh, Brøkkeren in Danish, which means the brewer. 
Okay, um, that's a, that's a good name. Yeah, and it it sounds a bit like my surname, which is Brookman. So mm. uh, it sounds a bit like the brewer. And the funny thing, you know, what I found very much is when you have been part of the environments that I have, you know, Boston Consulting Group, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Y Combinator, you know, some of these like places where everyone is super intelligent and super good at what they do. What takes you far is actually the funny facts that differentiate you from the bunch, right? So every VC, you know, would, would, would expect the founder to be super, super great at what they do, right? But sometimes it really helps to have this like weird personal trait or weird personal experience that really makes people remember you and makes you stand out. Mm. So I never anticipated that it would actually play a big part of my professional career, but it turned out to be uh, quite a big benefit. There's actually an, an Italian saying, because uh, I'm, I'm half Italian, right? So, mm. there, and sometimes I remember these random stuff. <laughs> so, I'm just sharing. So, there's an Italian saying that it says, uh, impara un'arte e mettela da parte, which means learn an art and put it apart. Yeah. So, I, I agree 100%. I spent my, my teenage years working in restaurants. And uh, now, like, one of my flexing stuff is, like, judging pizzas on based on the crust and, like, uh, you know, the levitation and, like, how much uh, the, the taste, if it's salty, if it's not. So, usually, I'm, like, you know, because I've been there, I know, like, how they do this kind of stuff, right? Nice. So, it's, like, it's like wine tasting for the poor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yes. It's an Italian uh, style of wine tasting. Nice. Yeah, I agree. So I'm totally going spontaneous over here. Someone asking your friends, who's, who's Joachim? Or tell me some characteristics about Joachim. What do you think they would answer? Um, that's a good question. I would definitely think that people uh, think I'm, I'm fun. Um, I tend to be quite spontaneous. So before I had a kid, uh, at least I would always be the one who was up for a spontaneous beer or doing something. Um, I think people perceive me as being quite motivated as well. I've always been very determined to achieve my goals, whatever they are, whether it's been, you know, um, going somewhere or achieving something that's career related or taking my studies seriously. Um, I also have a background in sports. So I think that's sort of the, the thing I was brought up with, right? That if you want to achieve something, you got to put in the work. Um, so that's also one of my traits. Um, then I think I'm quite a versatile person. Like I have always, given my 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 sport mindset, I think that I've been pretty good at achieving my goals. Um, whether that be in career or you know, um, like personal or yeah, yeah, in sport ways. Exactly. So quite driven, I think. I think you got you got two out of three things that uh, that they told me about you, and I can I can read you exactly the, the same like the same comment or the same message they that they told me. So uh, this person told me that uh, yeah, I know him quite well, and he's for sure one of the smartest people I know. But what what I really think is his biggest strengths is a an in, insane amount of power on doing what he puts his mind up to. B, the ability to listen and receive feedback with a completely open mindset from anyone, and anyone is all in a capital letter, so really anyone, even though he might outsmart that person by a factor of two. He really, really wants to listen and adjust from what you tell him. And C, which is the one that you missed, 
<laughs> An insanely poor sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> that makes him enjoy even low quality jokes. So in our group of friends, we call him Frank. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, and by, uh, by, by the way, so Frank is a reference to Frank Bump from, uh, from the Clown series, which is a Danish uh, sitcom where Frank is sort of the person that's uh, always fucking up all the time, right? <laughs> w- wanting to do the best, but always, you know, fucks things up. Um, and I think the resemblance is more in terms of look than it's actually in terms of behavior, but there might be, you know, some overlap. <laughs> but, but just to finish that, so in, in so many ways, he is one-to-one to like that character, like Frank, when he's not in his business on fire mode. So, like, just to say that uh, it's still a very good comment. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the real meaning of branding, right? Like, your personal branding is what someone tells about you behind your back. So, you're doing something good, either personally or or with your with your group of friends. So, I hope uh, you, you can, like, also acknowledge that. Other than that, I would love to hear more about uh, Pluto. Yeah. Um, so, I think I want to start out by explaining, you know, what, what really triggered my interest in the financial markets because it actually goes down to when I was around 13 years old. Um, so I was actually not doing too well in school at the time, um, especially in math. Uh, I was I was lacking behind and my dad was a teacher at the time. So he was really much, you know, trying to encourage me to take school seriously. But I was just, you know, a typical guy who wanted to play football and go cycling and, you know, uh, watch sports. I was a huge sports fan. Um, so, so he tried, you know, in various ways to encourage me and stimulate me intellectually, um, because I think he knew that I had it in me, but uh, I just wasn't very good at, you know, showing. Um, so he tried various things. And then one day he comes home and says, uh, here's the, the financial newspaper. Um, why don't we invest in stocks together? And he had never invested in a stock himself, so I don't know where he got it from. Uh, but he maybe maybe saw in me that I had some 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 passion for making money as well, and that he thought he could trigger that. So, and then what he said to me is, "You can use my uh, online bank, um, and you can select two stocks or three stocks that you want to buy, and I'll give you five hundred krona um, that you can just invest." So I started, you know, reading the newspaper and. Um, obviously when stock tips hits the largest financial newspapers, it's probably too late, right? So I ended up investing in three stocks. One was the biggest Scandinavian airline called SAS. The other one was Danske Bank. And this was right before the financial crisis. So I think my return was like negative 80% or something. (laughs) And the third one was actually a small semiconductor that went bust a few years later. Um, So I did terrible. But what it did do, however, was that I learned uh, the ins and outs of the financial markets, because obviously, as soon as I started investing, I was checking my, you know, my at, at the time it was on desktop, but I was checking, you know, the, the stock markets every day. And I was, even even a few years later, I actually was uh, watching the Fed meetings live. Uh, so what are the, uh, the central bank of the U.S. going to do with interest rates? Like, how does corporate earnings look? So I became really much of a stock market geek. And that was sort of the pivotal point for me that really triggered a huge intellectual interest and, you know, uh, made me pursue a career in finance by doing a master's degree, become a trader at Danske Bank, later at Goldman Sachs before ultimately founding Pluto. Did you, um, did you, did, did you lose it 
throughout the way, like when you got that spark when you were 13. And then I can guess that, uh, you know, teenage years came and all of this crazy stuff. But I feel like a lot of people, they get the spark and then they put it uh, to sleep and then they found it again in their career or something. Or did you like keep it up throughout the years? I mean, obviously, it uh, there are market cycles and investing is more fun when you make money than when you lose. But I think also my, my personal story tells you or tells me that if if you're, and I think actually this taps into some of the things that concerns me in the modern world, which is a lot of people have been uh, interested in the financial markets and entering lately just because they want to make money, right? And I see an entire generation who's focused on the outcome. But there is an input and there is an outcome and then there's a whole process in between. And I feel like that process, which is due diligence and picking the right stocks and you know, assessing your risk profile and putting in all the work has just been completely neglected. So actually one of the biggest vision of Pluto is actually to help people fall in love with the financial markets the way I did. Because I, I have a core belief that you can only get good at something when you enjoy it. Mm. So if you invest, but you really don't enjoy investing, most likely you'll do terribly if you try to do it yourself. So you should probably just outsource it, right? But if we can help people fall in love with the financial markets, then they'll start enjoying the process. They'll become financially literate. And then in the long run, they'll understand how to invest, but they also understand the difference between renting and owning a house and consumption versus buying an asset, right? So... I think there's a much greater purpose, which is essentially helping people become financially literate by starting to love the financial markets and understand them the way I did, as opposed to just wanting the outcome. And there's actually one story that kind of, it's probably one of the, one of the most influential talks I've ever listened to. Um, and it was done by a guy who held the world record in the longest run done uh, over the course of 24 hours. Mm. And I think and I think the record at the time was 280 kilometers or something. And this, by the way, was done on a 400-meter racetrack, right? He would, be, he would be going four hours one way, then he would flip around 180 degrees and then do four hours the other way around. Wow. Um, and he was, a, he was a middle-aged Norwegian man, and he, he did this speak, uh, this talk, when, when I was interning with the, with the BCG, and what he said was that he just loved running and that's why he became good at it. And then afterwards we were asked to, to put on our running shoes and we would go for a run with him and he ran incredibly slow. And after, and we, we weren't expected that, right? He's a pretty de decent runner. Um, and after two kilometers, he said, Oh, there's, there's a nice spot here. Why don't we sit down and have a, a cup of coffee? And, you know, we were a bunch of these like nervous overachievers who were, taken on the, the 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 world of consulting and that really challenged my mind like it was so obvious that you know if it was, if it was a rainy day he would skip his run and this is very atypical for 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 a sportsman like that but he just really made me think about you know the the value of actually enjoying what you do because you have to do this over over the course of many years so so you got to enjoy it otherwise you'll never become good at it and I think the same thing applies to, to the stock market. So so what we're building at Pluto, that was a very long run up to tell what we actually are. <laughs> I was I was about to make some popcorn, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could easily have done so. 
Um, so what we're building at Pluto is um, the the leading collaborative investment app for the Nordics. Um, and there's two interesting uh, pieces to that. One is that the Nordics is still dominated by the incumbents founded in the 90s, whereas in most of the regions you've had major disruption happen in the past five years. And the second second component is the collaborative element. So on Pluto, you can actually create a group with your closest friends to share the journey to make investing more trusted and collaborative. Love it. Do you feel like usually investment is a bit lonely? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, you know, my 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 kind of origin story, you know, starting out with my dad and and doing this together with somebody I really trusted and looked up to, um, has definitely shaped my own view on financial markets. And as I became a professional trader, uh, you know, efficient communication was even a more crucial part. Like, there's a reason why on the trading floor, it's an open office space. Even when back back before, when when all offices were closed, you would have open trading floors. There's a reason for that. That's because communication and uh, interactions are in- incredibly important, not only gathering information, but also getting challenged on your views all the time to help stimulate you and, 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 and eliminate all the biases that, that, that humans have as investors. So me, you know, if I was a, a completely newbie to the investing world, I would download an app and be left all by myself. To me, that's a paradox, right? The new investors are the ones that need the most support, not the least. And what you've seen happening over the past five years is that investors know that they need support. So they go on YouTube or Reddit, right? Where the trending post would be the ones that, you know, did a phenomenal trade and bought a Ferrari the next week. So you've had all these people being deceived by this extremely biased information due to the algos. And that means that they get a completely biased view on what investing should look like, which has made an entire generation of new investors lose a lot of money from mean stocks mm. because they they had a completely biased view on what the financial markets are. And I think that's largely a consequence of not being supported by these closed communities where information is unbiased, as opposed to the open communities like Reddit and YouTube where everything is biased. And like... You also see this in other aspects of society. So, you know, uh, I have a sister who's uh, 22 years old and like most of her friends suffer from anxiety, right? It's a huge generational problem that people in their early 20s are really seeing playing out now. Like anxiety numbers and and physical, uh, sorry, sorry, mental depressions and stuff like that is just skyrocketing. And that's because they, they compare themselves to what's going on on social media, right? And it all comes down to bias. If people posted what they actually did and what they actually looked like, we wouldn't have those problems. But filters and, and only wanting to portray the beautiful things and, and the beautiful sites they visit and, and when they when they when they feel like a success is a root to a lot of evil. And and I and I strongly feel that um, when you share a win with someone, the win multiplies. Like you feel even happier. Yeah. And when you share a lo- like a loss it diminishes, like it's less lost because you get to share it with someone. While if you invest by yourself, if you if you win, it's fine. But at the same time, you cannot tell people every detail, right? Because you don't want to flex as well. And if you lose, you also maybe not be able to tell people and you take it personally that I failed. While if you're doing it with your friends, with your colleagues, with your, 
you know, spouse or, or husband or whatever, it feels like, you know, you're sharing that. And this, this reminds me to um, a small story. Uh, one of my first businesses that I've ever tried was with my best friend and my, and my, one of my current co-founders. So we were two people. Uh, so he's now my co-founder and my best friend. But this was one of the original like ideas that we had, which we got, of course, from a YouTube ad. <laughs> Great. Like, where all ideas come from, right? I'm sure you were the only ones for that idea. Right? <laughs> Man, there was there was a guy with the orange Lamborghini. So it has to be a good idea, right? So it was drop shipping. So we we went into full mode of drop shipping. We're gonna make millions, you know, it's so easy and all of that. And I remember like we we spent a lot of time choosing the right products and all of that, and we created um, a name that we thought was good, but now it's horrible. But anyway, I remember the first product that we sell, because there's also this kind of feeling of gambling, right? Like you spent a lot of money and you don't know if you're gonna sell or not. Mm -hmm. But that first product, even though we were losing money so much, it felt like so good. It felt better than any salary that I've ever had, because I felt like whatever research that we did in the past months it's working right it's making you know some revenue it's making some progress and the main fact is that i was sharing it with my best friend we were in it like fully uh, fully in it with both of us it felt like so much better because if it if it was just me then it didn't feel like an accomplishment i'm still losing money um so shout out to toma uh, really like uh, throw throw me back like a couple of years ago um, and after that, we decided uh, we sold one or two products, and then we sh we stopped the whole thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but that was like that was a, a feeling that I shared, and and I I totally like the concept of you know maybe investing together or at least taking out this kind of uh, loneliness part from it. But can I ask you like the biased part? How big can the community be before becoming biased? Yeah, um, so I don't necessarily think that the size of the community determines whether things become biased, but there is just a embedded conflict on the mm -hmm. current well-established social media platforms because they're incentivized to show things that people want to watch, right? So if you do a very boring post, which is, hey, man, this uh, today I made, you know, 0.3%, yay, you know, people are just going to be scrolling past it and it's going to trend down in the algo. So the way we think about the community that we're building in Pluto is actually quite different from the community uh, building that you're seeing elsewhere. So we're focusing exclusively on building a community with people that you already know, right? So mm -hmm. these would be your friends, your family, your colleagues, or somebody that you have a real uh, relationship with. Whereas, you know, Instagram, Twitter is really built to um, connect you with people that you don't already know in reality. Um, and that's what we internally call a uh, preacher or an influencer platform because in fact, 1% generates 99% of the impressions, right? So it's very much, you know, uh, kind of a triangle where the top 1% is generating uh, most of the content that's actually being consumed. Um, so we see ourselves more as the equivalent of WhatsApp like that's the community we're building inside of a trading app. Um, and then we've also imposed, uh, uh, we, we've made a very strict product decision, which is what we call transparency by design. 
So you cannot hide anything if you're in a group with somebody. So we want you to be transparent. The only thing that we do not show is the amount of money you've invested. So if you and I were in a group together, I would be able to see your portfolio composition. So, you know, 30% of your investments are currently in Apple, the other 70% in Tesla or whatever the split might be. I would be able to see your transactions. I, was, I would actually get a push notification on my phone whenever you do a trade. We could obviously have a discussion around, you know, financial news that might break that are relevant to us or, or other things like that. Um, so, so it's really much just a very seamless way of exchanging information and also trigger national con natural conversation starters, which could be, hey, you bought Tesla. I'm curious, like, what did you think and, 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 and why did you do that? So I think the transparency by design is a really critical product decision that we've made. How are you currently facing the um, cultural aspect of, like, for example, in Denmark, it's kind of taboo talking about money. Mm -hmm. Like no one is better than everyone else, right? Yeah. I think money taboo is actually pretty prevalent uh, in most part of, parts of the world. Um, and I think uh, there are pockets of, of the world where this is obviously more the case than others. Um, I think in, in Scandinavia in general, we're pretty conservative. Uh, the same goes for Germany, whereas the UK and the US are quite the opposite. They're actually pretty comfortable talking about money for the most part. Um, and I think that's also the mission that we're on is really much getting people to talk about it and make finance more inclusive. Um, one example that we often highlight is, you know, spouses. So for instance, you know, I'm a, I'm a, pretty pretty advanced trader myself but my girlfriend doesn't know anything about finances so she's actually taking you know female invest courses at the moment uh, that she really enjoys so it's also a, a way in which we can do something together uh, and i can try to educate her and same goes for my sister like no no interest or um background in finance and the 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 good thing about the communities that we're building is actually that we're seeing a very strong incentive on both sides to make this work. So for instance, in the case with me and, and my sister, um, given that we know each other in reality, I wanna, I wanna build her up. I wanna make her better. I wanna make her faster, stronger, more happy. Uh, I have a lot of objectives, like she's my sister, right? So, so I, as the teacher, actually have a very strong incentive here. And obviously my sister on the other side have an even stronger incentive because she she can actually learn quite a bit. So if you if we didn't know each other, I'm sure my sister would still like to pick my brain, but I'm not sure I would be so incentivized to actually teach her anything. Mm, conflict and interest there. Yeah, it would it would it would be a waste of time, and there would be a hidden transaction uh, because I would probably expect something in return if I was like doing uh, a lot for her just pro bono, right? But given it's my sister, there's no hidden agendas. Um, so, so I think, I think that's the beautiful part about these communities and why we're so focused on building them actually quite small and intimate is to break the money taboo, make sure that you can ask the stupid questions and, and get trustworthy advice. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Um, I've, I'm sharing right now, uh, like a Revolut account, for example, with, with my, uh, parents and my brother, and it, it's super interesting to see also, you know, that people feel a bit safer as well when um, there's someone more experienced uh, than them with technology, for example, uh, dealing with all of this stuff. So at the end of the day, I just give them the credit card and, you know, that's it. 
they, they don't have to worry about logging in or changing passwords and stuff like that. So I, I really see the value in, in this kind of micro communities uh, that you're creating. Let's, let's uh, maybe jump one or two steps uh, back to the uh, teenager uh, Joachim that uh, just discovered how sweet uh, money is. Um, do you feel like in 2023 you still get that kind of uh, excitement and you know spark when you talk about the same uh, the same topic? Yeah, I think um, I think going back to one of the things I mentioned earlier, I think you can enter feedback loops, and feedback loops can be good or bad. And like the, I think the most classical good feedback loop is you know surrounding yourself with smart people because then you'll challenge each other and you build each other up. And conversely, you know, being in a dysfunctional relationship can 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 tear both of you down, right? So I think the foundation for becoming good at something is actually liking to do it. But when you become good at something, you also tend to like it more. Because it's really satisfying to be extremely good at something. So I think I'm in a positive feedback loop myself where, you know, I I continuously get curious about new areas of fintech. I discover new things. I discover new opportunities in the financial markets. And I'm sort of digging myself down the rabbit hole more and more. And it just becomes increasingly beautiful the the, the deeper it goes. So I think I'm definitely in, in one of those positive feedback loops at the moment. But do you think you could you could reach to the point where you love doing what you're doing because you're good at it, uh, but starting with a position that you don't enjoy that much? Yeah, I think that's a natural uh, process. I mean, sometimes if there is like a big technology emerging or or something that I know is going to take a lot of thought effort to actually wrap my head around, it's not always that I enjoy doing it, right? So there's all, all, always an initial sacrifice to reap some long-term benefits. And I think that's it's actually a quite important factor for success. I often refer to the marshmallow test, which was a very academic study that actually proved that self-discipline and um, the ability I'm, I'm, to I'm not very familiar with the marshmallow test. Would you would you give me a so, quick introduction? So <laughs> I'll, I'll, ju I'll, just, I'll just tell you the result and then we can rewind from there. So basically it was a very famous study that followed children over the course of 30 years or so. And the study actually found that the two most important factors for success is one IQ, which is really the, the innate ability to think logical. And the second one, which was equally important, and that's a big surprise, is the ability to sacrifice short-term temptations for long-term rewards. So the study was putting marshmallows in front of kids. And then you tell the kid, you can have this. I'm going to go outside. You can, you, can, you can have this marshmallow. But if you wait two minutes, there'll be two instead of one. Right? Which is actually pretty similar when you think about it to investing money. Right? You can spend it now or you can wait some time and then you'll have twice as much. And, and these are kids. I think they're two, three years old. Um, so, so what the study did was actually following the, the people participating in the study for a subsequent 30 years or so. Um, and then you could actually see a huge difference in the path that their careers had taken also, when you eliminate the impact from IQ in their statistical models, and you can see that 
the, the people that actually were able to not eat the marshmallow up front had way more success on average than the other population. And I think that that's one of the things that are very underestimated is that the ability to sacrifice short-term temptations is actually a huge predictor for success. So, so, so with that, I'm also saying that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily enjoy going through, you know, 10 interviews when I interview with Goldman Sachs or, uh, you know, studying hard for, for the five years it took me to, to get my master's degree in economics. But I, I, I always saw a clear goal on the other side. Yeah. Would you consider yourself um, what sometimes is called as a lifelong learner? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. just because I was imagining that when you were mentioning a lot of the examples and I can also see myself a lot in it, which at many, many times I suck if I need to study for an exam. Like if I need to study and then go and examine myself if I studied enough. I don't get the motivation. But if you tell me that um, I'm studying for uh, trying to understand something and then keep building on it in, in a very practical way, so not a theoretical way. So like, you know, you study this, you go try it, and then, oh, this is just a tip of uh, like a huge iceberg, right? So you continuously, continuously, continuously. I feel like I'm enjoying the process and uh, I love starting something that i know nothing about like it gives me so much motivation like i'll just i'll give you a small example like today we uh, we launched um, a closed beta uh, on the app store uh, which have we have been working on uh, for a bit uh, on Leia, our startup and i'm not a technical person right i have an engineering background but uh, i am not like a coder or something like that but I had to learn quickly how to how to launch and how, what are the requirements and all of that. And I just like got that spark again. It was like, okay, I just learned this by researching it for an hour or so. I go, I went and I applied it, and it worked. So it 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 feels so good to to you know study something that you know nothing about. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's the the real meaning of lifelong learning for me, at least. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, um, I think that's really the the amazing thing about being part of founder communities is that you have all these people that just per definition are intellectually curious, and I think actually that's you can have people that are incredibly smart, incredibly disciplined, people that even have very high EQ, but I think in the long run the intellectual curiosity part is really what sets good founders at least apart from from say mediocre ones because um, i think you know especially when you're a founder you work with innovation and if you want to be an early mover within anything you should be you should be one of the first ones to detect a new trend or a new technology which oftentimes comes from 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 curiosity so i think actually intellectual curiosity is one of the things that we look for when we uh, interview people and when we um yeah, talk to other people that we want to surround ourselves with. Now that you're um, you're a new father, right? When your son uh, reached the age of thirteen, will you do the same that your father did to you with the with investing? I think I'll start earlier. To be honest, <laughs> uh, I, re- I already created a investment account for him um, because I I understand the value of compounding, right? So. 
um, my my grandparents uh, were depositing money uh, into a savings account that I could get access to when I turned 18. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was like 50k Danish, so the, you know, 7k euros roughly, that I got access to when I turned 18. But they had deposited those money 18 years earlier, so it had just been eaten up by inflation, right? Mm. Had they invested that cash into the stock market instead, it would have grown like tenfold or something, because it was a pretty good market condition there, you know, from the 90s up until um, mid 2000s. So. You know, I have felt the pain from just cash sitting idle in an account rather than being activated in the stock markets. That's why I've created an investment account for, for my son already that I'm managing as well. That is like you giving him fish. Will you also teach him very early how to fish? Definitely, definitely. And I think this is much more than just the financial markets. It's more about financial literacy. And I understand why finance can be extremely boring for some people. But, but that's because they haven't learned how to look at it with, you know, curiosity and understand the greater purpose in all this. Because um, if you look at, yeah, an annual report, I, I agree to some extent it's very boring. But when you understand the underlying factors, you know, if you can link it to an investment opportunity, um, if you learn to analyze industries and, and actually, yeah, explore something with a curious mindset, I think that the benefits are so much greater than just being good at picking stocks. Actually, this, I want to tell an anecdote here. So um, I have been very money driven for parts of my career. Um, and when we graduated, you know, my, my, my friends at uni um, and, and myself, I was probably the one that got the highest paying job. Um, so I moved from Copenhagen to London, uh, working with Goldman Sachs, you know, finance, probably the biggest bank, you know, great job and all that. When I returned three years later, I was among the people in my peer group that had the, the lowest high net worth at that time. And the big difference, I had made more money, I had paid less taxes because I moved from Copenhagen to London, but my friends had invested in apartments and they had gone up maybe, I don't know, 15% over the course of three years. That's tax-free um, capital gain, right? And it's geared tenfold. So they had made more money, although I had worked my ass off just because that they had allocated their assets more efficiently. And I think, you know, Thomas Piketty, uh, I don't know if he won a Nobel Prize, but at least he... He sold a lot of books with Capital in the 21st Century and the book after that, right? Where the main point is, what's going to determine the winners of tomorrow is not necessarily labor income, it's capital income. So if you inherit money or if you're good at investing, that's much more likely to set you up for success than actually having a successful career. And I actually also think what's going on right now with the pension schemes, and especially in, in the parts of Europe that, that you're from, is <laughs> uh, quite interesting, right? Because due to current demographics, it's actually quite likely that you'll see an, an, a collapse of public retirement schemes. So that's completely going to wipe out people that are relying exclusively on public retirement. And it's going to require millions and millions of people to be much more disciplined at a very early age when it comes to saving and investing. Do, do, do you believe in retirement? Well, what do you mean by believing in retirement? Like, is that one of your plans? Uh, if, if, if your question is, do I believe in the 
in the public sector trying to protect you from yourself by locking up your money until you turn like 60 something and then giving them back to you. And the only reason why you want to use that stupid scheme is because there are tech benefits. My question is no, I believe people are smarter than that, right? But obviously I think everyone should save for, for when they get old. Yeah, I, I, and I agree, of course, of that, uh, in that, like everyone should save even for uh, like tomorrow when they're still young, right? But for me, it's just, I don't understand the concept of, you know, like you said, putting all your money with trusting something that is unknown more than trusting yourself, right? Um, or or even like the, the fact that um, waiting until you're like 70 or something to start enjoying life uh, because you can right, right now. While uh, throughout your life, you know, you're, you're trying to, forget about that and do something that you hate. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, obviously everyone should save for retirement. And then there's also the kind of redistribution of wealth from the rich people to some of the, the struggling ones, which I think is crucial, right? I think there should be, a, like, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm Danish, right? So I believe in the welfare state to, to a large extent. Um, but we just have some very serious troubles in most parts of the EU due to demographics. Which means that we don't have an option. Like we gotta work for longer, and people in France and and all the striking countries are gonna accept that. And I'm not sure they will. Right? Look, they're they're raising the pension age from 62 to 64, and people like the entire country has uh, has been, you know, on quite violent strikes for yeah. for two months or something. But I, but I think you know there's there's problems everywhere you look when you talk about wealth management and that's also why i believe it's such an exciting place to be the problem with 62 to 64 i don't think is just the the number itself it's the fact that maybe this is just the beginning right so if you raise it now from 64 maybe let's just make it 70 why 64 and another big problem is that for example in italy i think the average age is like 45 which is like crazy like the amount of people like that are over 70 is a very 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 big and you you still have to pay like uh, you know their their retirement salaries for for a long time i think it it's not working as a system as a whole yeah and when you think about it like i got my first full-time job when i was 26 so i'd been studying for call it 20 years right and if i were to retire at 62 I would have worked for less than 40 years and I'm projected to be more than hundred years old, right? So that's like 40% of my lifespan, I would have been contributing. And for the remaining 60% of my life, I would be consuming on the other contributors. Like that balance is just so tipped at this stage that we got to work for longer, study shorter, or just not get any public retirement. Right. It's not sustainable. And I think politicians are always one step behind on this. I actually think the Nordic countries have tackled it pretty well by hiking the retirement age early on. But the rest of Europe is, um, yeah, pretty fucked at this stage, to be honest. Also because the demographic issues are even bigger the, the further south you go. Now, let's let's take a, like a, maybe another perspective. Do, do you believe in the rich, that, poor, that kind of, uh, you know, mentality? I do. Which one do you think you were brought up with? I would lean towards poor dad. Um, I think if we look at 
the world as a whole. I'm extremely privileged to be brought up in one of the most well-functioning societies, um, in a non-abusive family. You know, I wasn't wasn't poor, but you know, compared to to Denmark, uh, we were probably lower middle class. Yeah, my mother was chronically ill. Um, my dad had uh, mental issues, so it wasn't uh, all roses, but it was it was it was a good upbringing. Um, and, and that way I feel very privileged, but, um, you know, I definitely haven't been one of the privileged kids in the schools I've gone to. And how, how did that, uh, affect your, uh, psychology of money? I actually think it has a greater impact than I, than I thought. My parents have always been quite irresponsible when it comes to money. Um, they would be living paycheck by paycheck. Um, they never owned a, the places we were staying at. When I was 20, they wanted to buy a small uh, summer resident and they didn't have the money. So I would be lending them money and I would actually be managing their finances when they were 19. So it was like they were the kids and I was putting restrictions on them to protect them from themselves, right? So obviously I think that has contributed to my uh, very mature way from an early age to think about finances um, and manage me to not live paycheck by paycheck, but actually do financial planning, allocate a budget towards investing and all that. Um, that was why, one of the reasons why I could become a founder in the first place, because I had financial buffer to go 12 months without my first paycheck. And it's so interesting seeing the, the correlation between what you're building right now and what you just said. Like they, they say that need is the mother of all innovation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you had that need since, since a very young age. To, to manage your parents' financials, uh, like, you know, strategies or financial actions, which led you maybe to have this kind of outcome or this kind of perspective on how it should have been done correctly. Agreed. For, for me, to be honest, this has and still is impacting. Like, I'm still, like, figuring it out as I go. Almost every uh, decisions that I've had, like, growing up, because I come from a humble, let's say, background. Uh, also, like, super privileged, like you, you just mentioned. Um, also, one extra privilege that I had is having multiple backgrounds because of my father is Jordanian, my mother is Italian. So I had this kind of mixture. Um, but my father is very, very conservative with the financials. Very extremely. Like, if I told him, like, uh, I need to buy something, he would always consider, like, if, it's, if there's really a need for that, right? And if you can get it in a cheaper way. Uh, so that affected me to the point that sometimes I buy something just because I can, even though I don't really need it, right? Just to break from that little child, uh, Yusuf, that um, wanted stuff, as all kids want stuff, but could not have it, right? But at the same time, I'm very conservative with like, for example, investing. I have never invested in my life. I've tried maybe a couple of times during COVID times, but uh, then I was like, oh, this is, this is too scary for me. Uh, but at the same time, like you mentioned, when I grew up, I, I figured out some other aspects that helped me so much, like saving up money and then being able to also uh, follow this founder's life because I had saved up a bit. Uh, and because I have very, very uh, low burn burn rate of financials. So I could adjust, like I could adjust from burning, for example, 10,000 crowns a month to burning 
2,000 kronz a month of expenses, mm. depending on my financial situation, which a lot of other people, I think, would find this difficult if they grew up on, you know, on a certain level of uh, of income or, or uh, comfort in general. I agree. And I think it's a very good skill to have, especially as a founder, being able to adjust to circumstances and not having, being high maintenance, essentially, right? And, you know, when we... So I'm a second-time founder, uh, Oscar, who's the co-founder of Pluto and a good friend and, and a great uh, software engineer and strategist as well. Um, we worked out of his basement for two and a half years at our previous company when we founded Pluto. And even after we landed about you know a million dollars in venture funding, we were still working out of his basement. So we were actually seven employees in 25 square meters just because we knew that market turbulence was on the way and we wanted to make sure that we had runway enough to achieve the milestones that we had uh, claimed to be able to achieve. So I think I think you know being being financially nimble and uh, not necessarily just spending more because you get more in the top funnel is a great skill to have. And you know when I I actually I'm more like your dad I would say I, I'm also pretty conservative financially when it comes to spending at least. And for me, it really stems from the fact that my my mom would always invite me out on cafes and she would be like, just buy everything you want on the menu. Like you want three dishes, you want, you know, a big Diet Coke and stuff. But I knew she didn't have the money, right? So I was always the one saying, no, I just want a small starter and I just need tap water. So I was protecting her from herself because I knew that she was very financially irresponsible. She was in debt for almost her entire life. Um... Actually, I think she wasn't that for her entire life. Um, so, so for me, it's it's kind of been the opposite, as you explained. Like I, I've always been the ones who who's done a lot of the sacrifices in our family to protect the rest of the family from themselves. But if you could choose for your son to be, uh, you know, financially stable and uh, comfortable and all of that, or having a bit of that mixture of uh, stable not stable or or being super rich like uh, what what do you think is the best outcome for for growing up I, i'm not sure i think uh regardless how you know pluto and and all the other stuff i'll, I'll probably take on after that is going to turn out i think that being grateful and appreciative is one of the biggest skills and i think a lot of people just take things for granted if they have never experienced scarcity um, so that's definitely one thing that me and my girlfriend is super focused on is if you have a privilege, make sure to make the person aware that it is a privilege um, and be grateful and humble. Uh, I think I think it's very basic, but that's some of the principles we're trying to pass on. And I also think having the mindset that I have, which is very goal-oriented and being willing to sacrifice a lot to achieve something, is not necessarily the path to happiness. Right? So that's one of the things I've actually talked to coaches and psychotherapists about is sometimes I tend to over-sacrifice to achieve something. And I'm not sure that I'm the happiest person on earth, although some of my achievements have been quite remarkable. Right? I, I think there are people that achieve a lot, not as much, but do it in a much more balanced way, which makes them much more happy in the long run. So I think that's something that I personally have been struggling with a lot. 
is is, yeah. is ne never 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 actually eating the fruits of the work but also focus always focusing on on the goal that's coming after again i think this is very 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 related to the uh, background that someone uh, is is brought up in if you had uh, a parent that has millions or billions of dollars you would find yourself very doubting that the situation could go worse than what it currently is so you would go more comfortable with your spending with your saving and all of that if you come up with a, a lower uh, like class like or lower uh, financial situation and then you turn up your life and you improve yourself you still know that if you do something wrong or whatever happens financially in the in the world you could go back to the situation that you came from or that you saw other people from so you're still more conservative are and you're always trying to push more because in your back mind i think and i'm talking about myself as well you always feel like one you're either that you don't deserve this and you you got this by luck or two that uh, you deserve it but if you don't work uh, more hard than anyone else you will end up you know like you saw other examples in your life yeah and i think one of the things about being a human is that per, per definition we're pretty greedy right and i think um after i i graduated uh, i felt like i was kind of competing with my friends about salary at least some of them like certain groups um and i think sometimes you can fall into the trap of considering yourself to be a victim because you make less than your friends or you don't drive a nice car or you live in a smaller apartment but i think that what i've learned over the past one to two years is not playing that game because i've made good money and i learned that that's not the path to happiness actually i think you're becoming a slave of of always wanting more rather than seeing money as not something that you use for consumption but something that gives you freedom like that's what money is for me it's it buys me freedom it buys me the ability to say okay i'm going to quit my job and i can actually build something that i'm super passionate about and not think about uh you know rent for the next 6 to 8 months um but i think a lot of people i mean I, i'm surprised when i interview people uh, for for roles of pluto for instance where you would be talking to somebody who's making millions right one one or two million danish krona a year and they would tell you that they have expenses which means that they cannot go down in salary because they have such an expensive mortgage they have a car the kids are in private schools and stuff and i'm just thinking like so you had all the cards on your hand to become free and yet you chose not to And I think a lot of people especially in our generation is doing that right they just ramp up expenses at the same pace as they 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 get more salary it it it's super funny because uh, you would you would guess that the more money you have the more freedom you have right you would guess that but at times i feel like the ideal scenario is for a lot of people to have you know that uh, mailman job or that bakery job or whatever it is live in your small town with your forever friends with your parents and your whoever lives around you and have it all there right and i feel like a lot of time they have more freedom 
than people running in London every morning in the tube that you feel like you're losing part of your soul every morning uh, just to go to do a job that you love 10% of it and 90% you just have to do it because because you have to, right? Because you need the money to rent a part, the big apartment with one extra room that you don't need uh, or to go out every weekend with people that you don't like. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, uh, there's actually studies in uh, behavioral finance that's been done around this where you ask people, do you want to be making 100K a year where everyone else is making 80K? Or do you want to be making 120K, but everyone else in your village is going to be making 150? And the rational answer is obviously, I just want to maximize my own income and I don't care about what everyone else is doing. But when you ask people, it's roughly 50-50. Right? So what this tells you is that relative wealth, relative in the sense that you compare it to your surroundings, is very much a real behavioral phenomenon. And that's irrational, and I actually think it's pretty destructive. You want to make more money just because your friend is making more money. Or, to take it to another extreme, you're actually willing to pay for your friends becoming much less rich than yourself. I, I wonder if this um, psychology comes from our uh, animal kind of, uh, you know, grandparents or like, you know, from our animal instincts, because I've never seen an animal that is doing or putting aside extra stuff just to be way better than anyone else. But us as humans we always try to be the best in everything so i wonder if this is like uh, it comes from instincts or it's just us being greedy to be honest this episode has been way deeper than i first imagined and especially learning from your uh, experience with the uh, money and your motivation for starting Pluto. It resonated with me so much. So I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we did not have time to go into your experience at YC. Um, so hopefully in the future we can do this again. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, I, I really, I really wish you guys the best. And I can agree with the, with the people that recommended you that um, the, the recommendation and the, the description that they told me about you is was on point. Likewise, it's, it's been a pleasure and it's always uh, great doing these uh, kind of interviews also because it makes me learn more about myself by speaking out loud, you know, realizing things as I speak most of the time. So it's actually also very valuable for, for somebody like me to have this space where I can just, you know, talk about my experience. Amazing. I really hope that you enjoyed it and uh, that you actually you know, get the chance to learn a bit about yourself as well. And um, I wish you all the best. Let's uh, stay in touch on LinkedIn and I will let you know when this is out as well. <laughs>